Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March the 10th, 2020. This is episode 2616 of the Survival Podcast. And this is going to be the lessons America should be learning from COVID-2019. A note that I said should be. Not is. Now you're going to hear today why I think some are but I think it's the vast minority. And I'm not really talking just about individuals, like personal preparedness, because we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But again, one of the reasons I've told all of you to calm the F down so many times about this coronavirus shit is because I expect that if you are a member of this audience, you're prepared for at least a couple weeks of downtime. And if you're not, then either I, I understand if you're a very, very new person to this or you've had something in your life that sets you back because it happens and you've already used that reserve and now you're in like a double, you know, a double whammy situation. Okay, I get it. Um, but if you've been around here like for years and you listen to the show all the time and you say you're a prepper and the thought of having to go a couple of weeks without going to the grocery store freaks you out to where you have to run to Costco and buy toilet paper. I don't think you've been practicing what I've been preaching. Okay, so I'm not really that concerned about personal preparedness from the standpoint of this audience because from the vast majority of you that I've heard from and met over the years, you do practice what I and you preach. You are prepared. Some of you maybe even, like I said earlier, feel like, well, I'm, I, I actually, you know, when you actually sat back and assessed it, you went, you know what, he's right, I'm more prepared than I thought I was. Um, but there's some real things that cause fear here. I'm going to talk about that today. And I'm going to talk about why the fear, while overblown here, is based in a reality. And that's why it's so effective at controlling the mob and freaking people out, including people that should know better. And I'm not really going to be beating up on the hype very much today. But as I've said over and over again, one of the reasons why I've pushed back so ever-loving hard on this is the, the, the extreme hype that's being pushed on the other side. And you cannot assess the situation as to being prepared, or you cannot assess the situation as to what you should learn from it if you're starting from a, let's say that the, the alert number on a scale of 0 to 10, and 0 should be like you couldn't find a problem if you tried, and 1 to 2 is about where we are every single day. Because I'll, I'll clue you in on something. By the numbers, your odds of dying for any reason in the next four days and your odds of dying from the coronavirus are about the same. If you take up all other causes of death, and I'm not talking about like coronary artery disease and stuff, right? Because that stuff is more lifestyle related. I'm talking about if you take about accidental death, things that happen to people that are acute, If you take that number, you have, you have an equal opportunity to die every given day compared to coronavirus right now. And that every given day number won't go away. So when the coronavirus goes away, that threat will still be there. Now, death is not the only threat. We're going to cover it all today. Don't get all wrapped up in, he got us like the flu. You know what? Some of y'all need to learn what like similes and metaphors and analogies are. 
When people compare coronavirus to the flu, they're not saying it's just like the flu. It's the same as the flu. They're saying we can learn a lot, and there's a lot of comparisons. And when we overreact to something that kills less people than the flu, that infects less people than the flu, we are indeed overreacting, and maybe we should calm down a bit. And then, then once we calm down, we can have an honest assessment of the risk. And when you really look at COVID-19 and the death rate in a country with modern medicine, the death rate is actually not that much different. Now, what people say, well, the death rate for the flu is 0.1%, and even in South Korea, it's 0.6%. Calm the F down. Just, like, what's going on here is there is a compulsion by people to believe this is more than it is. And it's part of the problem. It's part of what we can learn from today, and we're going to examine that. Today's show is really not going to be about not to worry. It's actually going to leave you with a lot more to worry about that's not directly related to anything to do with this virus or even the current rampage to build forts out of toilet paper to hide inside of. It really is. Like, the long-term consequences of this can be really, really bad, and it has nothing directly to do with the flu or a coronavirus. But we'll talk about that toward the end of today's show. Before we get into this, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is the original Survival Podcast sponsor. The very first one, Safe Castle Royal. They have been with us since 2009, and it is 2020. That's 11 years in the world of podcasting. It's pretty amazing. They're like a superstore for all your prepping needs, from the practical to the tactical, guns and gardens. You will find it all. At safecastle.com. Next up, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. You know, if you had a Berkey and you weren't intellectually um, repressed and understood that water came out of your sink, you probably wouldn't be at Costco fighting zombies for bottles of water. I'm just saying, I, I, water is the last thing I'm concerned about. I talked about homesteading last week and how, how well that makes you prepared and why like I'm not worried about water. But I think if you just had a Berkey and a faucet, and some containers, you could stop worrying about bottled water for the rest of your life. So why don't you get a Berkey, and when you, while you're at it, get it from Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason, because Jeff is the Berkey Guy for a reason. Number one dealer of Berkey in the United States. He's got great prices, great deals. He always gives you the best deal he can uh, at any given time, and he is a maniac about his customer service and will always take care of you. Check him out today. Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason, who's also been with us for not 11 years, but I believe it's almost 10 Ten years as a sponsor. Amazing guy. Check him out. Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason at his website because he knows nothing about marketing. Directive21.com. All right. So with that, let's start out with a quote of the day. I was like, what is the best quote to go into this show with? Because what is the biggest danger that I see long term here? And it is government and the advancement of government and government power. And like I said, we'll end on that because I think that's where this logically proceeds to. But F.A. Hayek. Once said, emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of individual liberty have been eroded. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about a quarantine. Because if you have a legitimate threat of an infectious disease, especially in a clustered area, quarantine is literally the only thing that government and society can collectively do together that proves to be reasonably effective. And it's also a short term. They don't put quarantines in effect for 10 years. doesn't work. It's not possible. So I'm not talking about quarantine. I'm not talking about the immediate responsive actions to acute conditions. I'm talking about the ones that don't go away. 
And that's what Hayek is talking about as well. That we need to change the very fabric of society for when this happens again. And I want you to, I'm not going to say much more on that. We're going to go right into the subject. But as I go through this today, before I get to the part where I cover this, I want you to think about the world on September the 10th, 2001. And I want you to think about the world on September the 12th, 2001. And I want you to think about all the things that began the day after 9-11 that absolutely never went away and have only grown since and have been justified still to this day over something that happened now almost 20 years ago, 19 years ago by this September. Because that's where we see the truth of history rhyming in all of this. So, before we go there, let's start out with some straight-up lessons that anybody sitting back and looking at this as an American citizen should learn from this. The first one is, the government is mostly unprepared for a disaster. We really are. We're not now. I didn't say completely unprepared for a disaster. There, are, like whether you hate or whether you like Donald Trump, should be irrelevant to your analysis here. If you are a sane, rational, logical human, the problem is we have a very short supply of sane, rational human beings, especially during a crisis. But if we look at some of the things that Trump did, that, that like I would say you got lucky, have made us better able to deal with this. And then some direct actions that were that were the right choice. So let's go back to all the tariff wars, the trade wars. What that did is it did move more operations to the United States, and it moved more operations to countries other than China. Okay, that is a case. Now enough, not really, but some some is better than none. But here's the like the full falling into good fortune component of this. When the trade war escalated, they didn't say, we're putting the tariffs on China now. They said, we're going to put the tariffs on China eventually. So American businesses bought the crap out of raw materials, etc., that were going to be tariffed and got them into the country before the tariffs went into place. This has given us a reserve of not all the materials we need. It's not that there's no shortages. See, I, I am really frustrated the fact that I have when I say something, I have to clarify that doesn't mean all things everywhere all the time. But I'm learning that I have to do that with a portion of this audience. Right? That doesn't mean we have a stockpile of everything we'll need, and now oh, it's all super, and we should all go out and fart rainbows together. What that means is there is a significant reserve of material sitting in the United States, being drawn from right now, that, by the way, is beginning to run low, that would not have existed had it been not been for the tariff war. That's a, that doesn't matter. That doesn't mean I support the idea. That just means that's what happened. God, again, it just it amazes me how you have to be so precise so people don't write. Because what it is is people want to believe something right now. So when you tell them anything counter to what they want to believe, then they add to what you're saying. So please, so that I don't have to keep doing this for the rest of this episode, I don't want to do this anymore, unless I say something, I'm not saying it, okay? And you don't, do not infer that I also am adding, or what I'm really saying. I'm trying not to have an argument with an angry person right now, okay? I'm trying to have a general discussion where we don't say, what you really mean is, no, what I mean is what I say, all right? So the government is mostly unprepared 
But some of these actions, another action. Now, here's, a, here's an example of a direct action that Trump took that has made us less affected by this. The immediate closing down of travel from the epicenters in China, all the way back, way back. And when he did it, he's xenophobic. Ah, it's not. It was exactly the right decision to make. The current restrictions from Italy, etc., exactly the right decisions to make. So we have done some things by, by foolhardy luck and by direct implementation that are valid. Trump realizing early on, again, this is not for Trump, against Trump, whatever, this just is. Trump realizing early on, I cannot have three different people saying three different things on the same day about the same thing that people are worried about. Assembling a task force, taking a guy like Pence, who pretty much from an organizational standpoint, again, love him, hate him, doesn't matter, organizational standpoint, competent and has his shit together. And saying, we, he, he, there's been no gag orders given or any of that bullshit to people at the CDC. But it's basically like what you're going to say, we need to know you're going to say it before you say it so that we present a unified message to calm people the F down. That's absolutely what should have been done. Government has a system known as continuity of government. It's self-serving. It exists to keep itself in place in the middle of catastrophes. You see continuity of government working itself out right now, and you see an assemblage of a task force that is more a messaging force than a doing force. But a lot of the stuff that's being done has suppressed the spread of the virus. And by the way, it's leading to exactly what I said. What's, what we're seeing across the globe right now, but we're not having reported because the media does want to hype this, is what's known as Farr's Law. William Farr was one of the founders of modern, modern epidemiology, right? And he came up with this law back in 1840 that basically when there was a pandemic, an epidemic, whatever, the rise and fall is roughly symmetrical, And like a bell-shaped curve. And it, as soon as you hit peak, you actually begin to climb. And that is played out in every epidemic. Now, it's played out in longer and shorter durations over some epidemics. Because it, it played out in El Ebola. It played out in SARS. It played out in freaking AIDS. Well, AIDS is a much longer bell curve, but it still played out. And it's basically been ignored... So it was recognized, it was award-winning, it was earth-shattering, it was the standard by which to live, and then it was completely ignored in every epidemic, pandemic, etc. that ever occurred afterwards, even though it, it's constantly proven itself right. Now you get a respiratory illness following FARS law. We're in late spring, the infection rate in the United States is low, and we're fixing to go into the seasonality that suppresses and even completely destroys spreading of the flu, which is another respiratory illness, every year. Again, it's not the same as the flu, but it follows the same pattern as the flu. This is already in decline. Now, there will be more cases in the United States because now we're testing for it and because everybody's aware of it and everybody's hypervigilant and everybody that gets a sniffle thinks they have it. But in the end, we're already in decline. Global cases, global deaths, already in decline. Italy going into quarantine, freaking everybody out. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. It, it stops the overall spread. It suppresses the ability of the virus to spread. And it causes mutation. Oh, my God. Not all mutations in viruses are bad. 
it pushes mutation toward less lethal, less aggressive, because the virus seeks to continue to exist. That's why when you look at a virus that is incredibly lethal, they tend not to spread, because they kill the person or incapacitate the person carrying them. They don't get much opportunity to spread, especially in a person-to-person transmission versus a true airborne pathogen which is actually quite rare. That's what's going on right now. But even with all that, the government is mostly not prepared. The American people are completely unprepared for a disaster. Completely unprepared. Let's step back to government for a second. We could change a lot of this, but we won't. Because the priority of government is the preservation of government. And I'm not going to say any more than that on it. But there are things we could be doing at the governmental level that would make us more prepared. But they would chiefly involve what I'm going to next anyway. So that's why I'm going to just kind of bridge over to that. The American people are completely unprepared. And the reason that won't change is because as freaked out as everybody is, two weeks into this going away, everybody will go back to what might be a new normal that we'll talk about toward the end, but just they won't, like, ah, we don't have to worry about that anymore. We don't have to worry about that anymore. They, the, the, the American people are like mice, They're in a box. You can panic them really, really easy. But if you just walk away from the box and come back in 20 minutes, they're all back to just being mice again. They're more like mice than sheep. I mean, really. They're like a bunch of panicked mice in a box. And the reason I say that bridges back to what the government can do, the number one thing the government could do to make the country better prepared for a disaster is stop the nonsensical bullshit about the preparedness that you need to have simply being three days. And then not even really pushing that. Just kind of like, well, it's there if you want to see it, but we don't teach that. That's not a forward message of our government. Government never wants to give you the hint that anything could ever be wrong except when it's politically advantageous to do so. So a generalized, unified message that both parties can get behind that says, hey, you should prepare for a disaster, not going to happen. Because the number one thing we could have in place is for this country to be taught from childhood that you are an irresponsible ass clown if you don't have at least 20 to 30 days of staying power. That, that like You're literally an irresponsible an adult. You have no business having children for sure if you don't dedicate the effort necessary to, as you grow up, and take on personal responsibility, developing at least a 30-day resiliency plan. And by 30 days, I do not mean that you are alive at the end of those 30 days. I mean that at the end of those 30 days, you're kind of like, nah, that kind of sucks, but it's fine. You're not bankrupt. You can't not figure out how to make your mortgage payments. You're, you're, all the food in your house is not gone. You, you're, you're not wiping your ass with grass, right? Like, you are okay for 30 days. That should be the minimum goal in this country, and if our government gave a flying fiddler's fart about the American people, they would teach that. They're not going to. Most of the scared mice in the box are not going to do it, so you should be doing it. right? American corporations, we've learned, are mostly unprepared for a disaster, but they might change. The The free market, what there is of it that is actually free, does respond to situations and does 
seek to preserve itself much as government does. But it can't preserve itself the way the government can because it can't force you to buy its product. If you don't pay for your gadget, it can go to the court and try to make you pay for it. But if you never buy it in the first place, it literally has no recourse. Well, the government can literally say, not only must you give us this money, we'll come take it from you if you don't give it to us. So corporations have to work harder to survive than the state does. You've seen the state bail out corporations. You've never seen corporations bail out the state. You've seen corporations be part of a solution with the state. In other words, when there's a war, they start ramping up production of bombs. Would be one example. And there's some things that are far more benevolent. But it's always some kind of like partnership. It's never the, the corporations bailing out the state. Because the state has the power to do a bailout. The corporations don't. That doesn't mean the corporations aren't actually in charge. Okay? And we're talking about two different classes of companies here. I'm talking, when I say about corporations, I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, an airline that's going to get a bailout. I'm talking about the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of small to mid-sized businesses that employ the vast majority of people in this country. They are not prepared for a disaster. I know people that I, I, I am more worried about their business than their health. And some of them even fall in kind of higher risk health things, but I'm still more worried about their business than their health. You know, I can think of a few people that like, man, if, if their business is shut down for 30 days, when this is over, they're looking for a job, not going back to work in their business. So I think companies will start to think more about their continuity. And if they get through this, if it doesn't hit them hard, I think it's a wake-up call that they can't turn away from. Because when you're an entrepreneur you're, you, and you're small enough that you're not getting a bailout, you know you're not getting a bailout. And you know there, there's not a recourse. If you're an employee, eh, you, most people in this country, as dumb as it is, they think this way. Well, companies have money. But employees ask for a raise. They have no idea, well, like, are, should you even be considered for a raise? Do you actually make money for the company? They don't know. They have no idea what the operational cost is to, to have them sit at that chair every day or do whatever they do every day. They have no idea what their burden labor cost is. They have no idea what their billable, billable labor cost is, either internally or externally from the company. They don't know. And because of that, it's much easier to just say, oh, it's going to be okay. I'll be all right. When you're an entrepreneur, you, 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 you are ha a lot of entrepreneurs are having come to Jesus moments right now. If this, if the, we have an Italy... Let's say that happens. I don't think we're going to, but if we do, and they shut down, not just the whole country, but let's say that you're in Washington, and Washington State locks down eastern Washington completely the way that Italy is right now for 30 days. Will my business be in existence on day 31 when they tell me I can go out and about? Even if it is, it won't be an immediate snapback. Like, it'll be a slow snapback. Will I have the, the staying power to make it for two or three more weeks to get back to where I need to be to regain stability? So I think corporations are, are, the, are the people that are going to learn the most from this will be entrepreneurs, small business people, mid-sized companies. That I need to run my business differently. I need to think about the ability of my employees to work from home. I need the ability to service my customers. And some people are going to realize you're in a business where this doesn't even work. I know one person, I'm not going to name them or explain the exact industry, but pretty much a one-man show with a little bit of part-time labor. And his primary customers are small to mid-sized businesses. 
And if he goes 30 days without selling product, he's he's bust. He's just bust. He just has to go do something else. At least long enough to get enough stability back in his life to go back to doing what he's doing. And so companies like that have to start thinking about the fact that I need enough capital reserves in the company, not in my personal account, in the company, to meet the obligations the company has for at least 30 days. Because if that happens, there's only two ways you can you can bridge that. And this is not just during a disaster. This is what a lot of employees don't understand. So if you're working for me, I got a 10-person company. And you, if you look at the bottom line of the company, you say, Jesus, the company made a million dollars profit last year. And most of that money is sitting in a bank account in the company's name. Jack's a rich guy. He's a millionaire. What's it cost me every month to keep the doors open in that company? You have no idea. And if we get to a point where I have a month or two or three, will the company's cash flow negative for any reason at all? There's only three options I have. The first one you're really not going to like. I cut hours, wages, I lay off, or I fire people. Or I shut the company down, depending on how bad it is. Those are the only things I can do in option A. I assume if you work for me, you don't like any of those options. Okay. Option B is I have capital reserves in the company to bridge the gap with. And I just keep everybody employed, even if you're not working as much, whatever, because I don't want you to go away because you're good at what you do. Maybe I use this as an excuse to get rid of the one guy, 10% of my workforce that I've been wanting to get rid of. But in the end, basically, everybody stays employed, everybody gets paid, even if you're not working as much or doing as much, because I have the capital reserves and I am playing the long game in the company like an entrepreneur does. That's option two. I bet you that sounds like the best option. Okay, Option three is I go to a bank and I beg them for money. First question, why don't you have any capital reserves? Second question, what has your profitability been? Third question, what is your projection for recovery after this bridge loan? If I don't have three good answers to that question, I'm back to option A. The best option, therefore, is option two. 30 days of capital reserves. You say, well, how does that apply to the person that is a solopreneur? You should have enough money in your company to pay yourself whatever you pay yourself now for at least 30 days. At least. 90 is better. Leave the money in the company. Leave the money in the You can always take it out. You can always do a distribution. And to pay every bill the company has. In my case, like a server bill is one of the probably the biggest bill my company has is a server bill. So you should be paying yourself a wage out of your company. And if you want to take a bonus quarterly or annually because your company did better, then you can do that. But you better leave the capital reserves to bridge 30 to 90 days. I think more companies are going to come out of this and do that. Big corporations won't because they can always get a loan or a bailout. But your mid-sized companies will. Um, Next, we do need to be honest. I don't care if you hate Trump. I don't care if you walked out in the streets January of 2017 wearing a pink, pink pussy hat and, and, and chanting about your rights that were not actually taken away from you. I don't care if you think Donald Trump is the, the worst human being to ever exist in the borders of the United States. 
And I don't care if you think Donald Trump is orange Jesus. I don't care where you are on that spectrum. I don't care. Okay? If you're going to analyze this honestly, you have to admit the media is hyping this because they hate Trump. There are Democrats in our government who are willing to hold back solutions so that things get worse because they know they won't get the blame. The guy at the top of the ticket will get the blame. There are people that see this as the opportunity to get rid of the orange man. If you are one of them, I'm going to say something I generally don't say about large groups of people, but if you are one of them, if you see this as a way to capitalize at the expense of the American people to get what you want politically, you are the scum of the earth and you should be hurled into the ocean. And if you can make it back from, I don't know, 2,500 miles out, you get to live. I mean, really. And I'm saying this as a person that doesn't like Trump. But we should not be playing games with lives and the economy because you, you cried because Trump became president. Really, we should not be doing that. But the other side of it is, they're also hyping it, the media anyway. So the Democrats in the, in the government, in the deep state, are hyping it because they hate Trump. The media is hyping it because they hate Trump, but they're also hyping it because they hype everything. Hillary Clinton could be president right now. They would hype it differently. They would carve out a different segment to blame instead of Madame President, but they would still hype it. So the lesson there is, whatever happens that's bad, the media will rav it up until they make it seem like it's worse. Every single thing that happens that's bad, the government will make look worse than it is. Here, here is an example of the current situation and a couple examples of prior situations where they were caught. I have seen a picture and I have confirmed its validity of a news agency that went into a supermarket in Washington State. And I, I can't find it now, damn it. Um, if anybody has this, I'd love you to send it to me so I can put it out for people to see. So what they did, they went into a grocery store to film empty shelves. Now, that doesn't mean there's no empty shelves anywhere. That means the place they went to film empty shelves, there were no empty shelves. So they took everything off a section of the shelves to take a picture of it. And somebody took a picture of them doing it. And behind them, you see, because, you know, the store owner was not probably happy about the whole thing. And they had to be all put back. They have, like, tables. And they have all the stuff they took off the shelves neatly stacked on the tables in the foreground. And they emptied the shelves. Does that mean there are no places with sold-out stuff? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that when they couldn't find it, they created it. If they'll do that, what will they not do? How about a couple that just have to do with the weather? There were just terrible, terrible tornadoes in Tennessee. It's an awful thing. It's an awful story. But I watched a report, and it was very clear that when they went to a neighborhood, they certainly set up in front of the house that had the most damage, and the place that they set up, the damage around all the rest of the houses was pretty superficial. That doesn't mean there wasn't massive damage everywhere. That means they created the appearance of things. During the fast food riots, supposedly, fast food protests, whatever, like the strike, fast food worker strike, okay, like I said when it was going on, there was no fast food workers strike that ever happened. They're, calling it a strike alone was hype and bullshit. 
It was bullshit. If you could go at any time to any fast food restaurant and get a Big Mac or a Whopper without any disruption to your life, there was no strike of fast food workers. It didn't happen. didn't exist. If that wasn't bad enough, what they did is they took a bunch of paid protesters and put them out on the streets. Five for 15, which is really about giving high-paid union workers a much bigger raise. That's what it's really about. But they put these idiots out there in the street like they were working for Burger King when they were actually being paid to protest. Bad enough. Media doesn't uncover it, even though it's obvious to the most casual observer who's honest. But what they also did then was put up things that looked like they were a blockade, get all these people and put them into a very thin, deep column, tied in with the camera, and filmed it as though the street was full of people when there was about 50 paid protesters. Totally busted, totally caught, Totally did that shit. Another example. Way back. This looks like, like, like a mid-90s video. There is a bimbo, and I'll call her bimbo because she was, in a canoe because the streets were so flooded. And she's there like she's paddling in the canoe because it's so flooded she has to get in a canoe. And what happens? Three people walk in ankle-deep water right behind her while she's, while she's broadcasting. You see what I'm saying here? One of the more recent, it was one of the hurricanes in Florida, they had a guy standing like he was like just being about ready to be blown away, bracing against the wind. <sighs> ah, it's hellacious. And like two guys just like walked behind him like they didn't even care. This is what media does. So when I tell you media is hyping it, it's not because I'm saying coronavirus is nothing to concern yourself whatsoever with. It's because the media always hypes things, and if we were in a court of law, what I would refer to the Trump factor is as what you would call in a, in a, in a legal case an aggravating circumstance. So the, the defendant is already predisposed to violence, but in the situation he was in, these things occurred, and therefore these were aggravating circumstances that made him more violent. That's what the, that's what we got with the media right now. They're already predisposed to lie and hype everything they talk about because it's, please look at me, please look at me. And then you add the orange man aggravating circumstance to it. It also now benefits them to get what they want politically. And if you don't think the media is anti-Trump, I can't even help you because you're in total denial of reality. And we should, like, the people that were in denial of it, If you look at coronavirus, it should expose it for you. It's another lesson we should learn. But the big lesson is the media hypes everything all the time. And I predict that the current crisis will be relatively short. Now, relatively short, you know, what's short? I, I, I See, the American people are like a spoiled child in a car, right? So when you, if, if, I was, if you and I were going to take a, a trip somewhere, And we're going to jump in the car together, put some music on, shoot the shit, and maybe grab a bite of lunch on the way. And we said, well, how far is the drive? And I said, about three hours. Your response to that is, that's no big deal. Maybe we don't even need to stop for lunch, except I'm kind of hungry. But you're not impatient in a three-hour car ride. It's not a long road trip. Put a four-year-old in that car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How many more minutes? Are we there yet? I'm bored. I have to pee. She's looking at me. He's kicking me. The whole thing, right? When I say relatively short, I think you're going to see a major, major pullback in the total number of cases in the next 30 to 45 days. For Americans, that's an eternity because we're all spoiled children now. 
But in the end, it still will be relatively short. And you are going to see, like I said, it'd be, it'd be kind of a slow initial snapback, but this economy is going to go berserk. Imagine with everything that's in place now, new trade deals with Canada, Mexico, and China, and all the suppression of this thing, and then you take it away. Boom! And then people go back to their slumber, and I do think there is a potential to deal with this again this fall. That's a typical cycle. It may go away. It may not. We don't know. But the real thing about why I think that's bad is because everybody goes back to sleep, but there's just enough panic generated for the government to get what it wants. Before we talk about that, let's talk about the opportunities that come from this. Number one, I think there is an amazing opportunity for people, once this goes over, to setting up companies that help companies set up continuity of operations planning. And that's not just, you know, here's your 10-point plan to keep your business running. That's someone that could be the true consultant that can go in, sit down, watch that company operate for two weeks, figure out the ins and outs of that. Basically, it's business consulting, niching down to continuity of operations. I think it's going to be one of the best small business industries to go into once this blows over. You ain't going to be able to do it right now. Because the only companies that can afford it right now are the ones that can afford like the emergency rate. Right, and they probably don't need it anyway. They're probably still operating. They just want to like shore it up. So unless you're already established, it's not there yet. But that's going to be an opportunity. The next one is for every loser, there is something that's going to go on sale at a discount. Whether that's somebody that lost money in the stock market, whether that's somebody that lost a business and now has to sell its assets, whether that's somebody that loses a house, and you can say that's predatory. I don't see it as predatory. Predatory is, man, I want this person to lose their house so I can buy it cheap, right? It's opportunistic, I guess, is a better word for it. Well, this house is, like, whether I buy this house on sale or not, it's on sale. Somebody's going to buy it. In fact, it's better for everybody that somebody buys it quicker. The longer it sits, the worse it is for everyone. So you're going to see a lot of shit go on sale. And this is why one of the steps that we should always be taking with our daily, everyday preparedness is making sure we have some capital in reserve. And the reason you can bet on that, you can bet on recovery here, is the very nature of this crisis means we know it will end. This is not an unending crisis. This is not something that's never going to go away. This is not something that we're going to really be dealing with the way we are right now in June. Now, you may want, for some reason, some of you, like I said, you're clinging to this. You want to believe it. But I, I want you to think about some, of, again, I've talked about this before, but I want you to think about some of the absolute proven lies that we were told, and the people hyping it told you those lies, and now that we know that those lies were told, they're just pretending they never said it, And they're just going on with their newest thing that they're hyping. So here's just a few things that were said about this that were completely untrue. One was that there were people lying in the streets in Wuhan. That there were like just people just dropping over and dying. Never happened. Never happened. Was not a thing. Did not happen. Complete fabrication and lie. Another thing that was said was that There were incinerators burning thousands of bodies a day because of the dead lining up in Wuhan. Didn't happen, never happened. Another claim was there was proof 
of this incineration activity. Because some genius supposedly found satellite images that showed big clouds of sulfur gas over these, these epicenters. And it turned out that those maps and those graphs were weather projections that had no real-time imaging whatsoever. They were projections of the weather. Nothing to do with sulfuric gas due to burning anything, except maybe fossil fuels. I mean, <laughs> that is just a sampling. Let me tell you what's going on right now. It's just overhyped bullshit. One is that, and see what you do is you take the truth, and since it's not enough, we exaggerate the truth. One is that all shipping on the West Coast is shut down. There are no ships coming in. See, there's a problem for the people that make these claims. There's actually websites where you can go look up all the ships at sea, where they're going, and where they're coming from, and what their schedule is. And is there a reduction in shipping from China? Yeah, and there was before this even started because of the tariffs. So first we had a big ramp up, and then the tariffs hit, and we had a ramp down. And it, the coronavirus has made it worse. China's output right now is about 50% of what it was six months ago. That's a big hit. That's a big story. We have you know people that are laid off, trucks that are not rolling, etc., because there's less shit coming in from China. That's a big story. But no, no, no. That's not good enough. There's absolutely no ships coming in. The whole port is shut down. No one's moving. No one's doing it. It's bullshit. And again, you can look up the ships and you can see the damn ship. You can get the name of the ship, its manifest information, etc. You can get it all right there. Here's a freighter. Here it's coming. This is a tanker. Blah, blah, blah. It's coming from here. Right? See, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't make a claim, have it disproven, and then say it's still true and expect to be taken seriously about anything that you have to say. Another story going on right now. Airplanes all over the country are flying empty to keep routes open. That's not how this works. And what somebody will show is a picture of an empty cabin with no people in it, with some text some dolt on Twitter wrote, And with the media hyping everything, don't you think if that was the case, they would have a real story about it? Oh, they're hiding it from you because they don't want you to panic. While they panic you, do you even hear yourself talk? This is the crap that's going on. People run out to Costco and buy all the toilet paper, and all of a sudden there's no toilet paper anywhere available in the United States. I went out and checked myself, and toilet paper was widely available. I guess if you live in Seattle and you go to Costco, Aldi, or Sam's Club, it's hard to find right now, and somebody somewhere is living in a fort of it. But really, if that's your biggest problem, I think you're going to be okay. And we, we have to accept that this will end. Because if we don't, we can't make rational decisions about how to deal with it while it's going on, and we miss all the opportunities. Now, whenever... Again, whenever I say, hey, you don't have to freak out about this. Here's what's going on. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody, he's a nothing burger. Nothing I've said equals that. Right? It's a thing. But the panic is way worse than the threat. And the very people screaming the most that that's the truth are the ones causing the panic. If you are going out and taking pictures of empty shelves and sharing them on social media, you are part of the problem. If you see that post by somebody else and you share it, you are part of the problem. You are part of the hype you are saying is the problem. Stop it. You're not helping. That doesn't help. 
telling, well, I need to tell my friends to be prepared. You've probably been telling them to be prepared for 12 years. Showing them a picture of an empty shelf will not help them be prepared. It will help them freak out. I don't know why people can't understand. I actually do know why, but it it bothers me that people that are supposedly informed behave that way. Here's the real concern I have, because it's not that I'm totally unconcerned. Um, number one, I do think they will fast-track the vaccine faster than even they say they can right now. Estimates are anywhere between 12 to 18 months to have a vaccine, which would put us all the way through another fall and winter cycle before we had it. But the truth is, we already have vaccines going into trials. One that was fast-tracked here, I, I can't get into the science behind it, but it's it's actually pretty fascinating. And it, if it works, it actually reduces one of my fears. One of my fears was they're going to rush this vaccine, They're going to use the virus itself to make the vaccine. And that you're probably going to have to go get the vaccine for self-preservation. Because it itself could cause a, 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 an epidemic with shedding virus from inoculated patients. The way they did this is pretty cool. And it's part of why they were able to fast track it so fast. Where they were basically able to encode uh, the RNA response to create antibodies for the virus without actually putting the virus into the patient. That's a pretty big, it's a pretty big scientific, amazing thing. It's fake. No, it's not. Stop. Stop. Um, but I, it doesn't allay my second fear and my bigger fear that it's always been. I think you're going to get less choice in vaccine because of this. And I'm not talking about just mandatory vaccines. There are ways to manipulate people into getting vaccines. And one of them is to combine shots. Right? So, um, if, if you look at um, tetanus being combined into the DTP vaccine, for instance, now you have to get three vaccines. You, you can't just go get a tetanus vaccine. You see how that works? So, what do you think that they're going to do here? What do they tell you every year? Get your flu shot. 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 I think you're going to make a COVID flu vaccine. COVID is not the flu. No, stop. Stop. Stop being a damn intellectual moron, okay? COVID and flu in one shot. They're going to make a combined vaccine. Because people are so afraid of COVID to an irrational level that they'll line up for it. When they pretty much ignore, like, most people don't get the flu vaccine. Most people don't. And one of the reasons is because it's only 40% effective because it also has side effects. And like, if my risk of the vaccine exceeds the protection of the vaccine from the risk of the illness, I'm not getting the vaccine. That doesn't mean I'm anti-vax. That means I make a logical, rational decision. If the instance of serious reaction to the vaccine is higher than the instance of a healthy person like me having a serious complication from the flu, I'm not getting it because I play the odds. If you played the odds with COVID, you'd do the same thing. But the herd mentality is now, oh, my God. So the sheep will line up for their COVID vaccine, and they will get their flu vaccine. You think that's good or bad? I'm not even making a judgment. I'm just saying I think that's what's going to happen, and I don't like removing choice from people. And the reason I say this, history doesn't usually repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And combining vaccines to increase the number of people to get vaccinated for individual 
vaccinations is something with lots of historical precedent. Lots and like there's almost no individual vaccines anymore other than the flu. And I think that's fixing a change. Number one, I think um, this will give the government more gas for its war on cash. And when I say cash, I always have to clarify because I can say cash and mean different things, so it can be taken different ways. Because if I say you need to make sure you have cash reserves, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, in, a, in a strong box or in a floor safe in paper form. That's a, that's a type of cash. But if you have you know, a bank account with cash in it, I consider that part of your cash reserves. If you have you know, inside your, your retirement account a cash equivalency fund, I consider that part of your cash reserves. It's in a different vehicle, right? But it's still part of your cash reserves. So when I say cash that way, I mean anything in the form denominated purely in dollars that is at no risk other than the value of dollars themselves. You don't, it's not a stock denominated in dollars. Then you are holding stock. You are not holding cash, right? When I say cash here, I'm talking about paper bills that we go to the store and we hand the person two 20s for something that's $35 and they give us a $5 bill back. That's what I'm talking about. And the government hates cash because it is an anonymous exchange of government-backed money. I use the term money very loosely there, but that's what, we, that's what we call it, right? So I am able to spend the government's money without the government knowing I'm spending the government's money. That's what cash, that's why they hate cash. You know, at least with something like cryptocurrency, I can do it without them knowing if I do it the right way, but it's not their money. Think about how, how they must feel really the central planners, the architects of our economy. They can use our money without us knowing it. They don't like that. They have been trying to get rid of cash for years. The war on cash goes back at least to the 70s. The war on cash goes back to before they could even figure out to make how to make it feasible. They knew the technology was coming. And they want to get rid of cash. And I have seen a lot of peripheral noise already that money can spread the virus. And if you think about it, money is kind of dirty. If you just think about how bills pass around, how many hands touch a bill. And how do you clean that? How do you wash that, right? Like, so, there, this is, it's always easier to sell a lie if it has a little bit of truth in it. And there's a little bit of truth in the fact that, that cash can help spread diseases. Because it's something that we pass from person to person to person. But if we put it in relative context, Because I want you, again, think about it this way. Okay, so you go down to Albertsons or Publix or whatever grocery, Kroger, whatever grocery store, because it's not, I don't want to like, you know, sully the name of an individual store, but you go down to the store and you get to your store and you get your hand sanitizer out and you clean your hands and they have a little wipe for you, a little Clorox wipe, so you take a Clorox wipe and you clean off your the handrail of your cart. I'm not saying that's bad, I'm just saying eh, it is what it is, okay? But you've done that. Now you've, you've convinced yourself that you're safe. And then you, the first thing you do, you go into most grocery stores, what's to the left in most of them, or the right, depending on how the store is laid out, the place you're naturally funneled to first, produce. Okay. So you go over to the produce section, and you're like, I need some lettuce. So you see these big bundles of lettuce. And that lettuce was picked by a migrant worker in California, stuffed in a box, handled by three or four other people, and shipped all the way to your store in Florida or Texas or Nebraska. So 
You go over there and you pick up a bundle of lettuce and you look at it. Eh, it's not so nice. It's got a little yellow on it. And you put that one down. You pick the other one up and ah. But Tom just picked up the one you decided looked nice and put it down. So now you put that in your cart. <laughs> and then you go and you fill the cart with various items, many of which you pick up and look at and put back on the shelf. Joe the stock boy came in this morning and stocked all those cases of water, probably while wiping his hand across his nose and his face, and you pick up the bottle of water and you take it home. And then so we're going to worry about the one thing that changes hands at the end of that, all that touching by all those people, but we're going to go to war with the one piece at the end. It's not that the one piece at the end can't be a vector for transmission. It's just that it's, it's silly to, to isolate it from all the other things. Like the stuff you ordered on Amazon so you didn't go out that was packaged by an employee who might be in Seattle. Where it's ground zero. And the stuff just came in on a container ship from China. Now, there's a life expectancy of the virus, and probably a shipping container at sea is going to exceed that. But you see what I'm saying here? Like, there's a lot of contact with a lot of things other than money. In fact, most people operate mostly cashless from that way of calling it cash anyway. But they'll still use it. They want cash to go away, I'm telling you right now. Uh, more validation for government to have more emergency powers, right? Emergency powers. Where have we heard emergency powers before? In response to this direct threat to the Republic, Misa proposed that the Senate give immediately emergency powers to the Supreme Chancellor. It is with great reluctance that I have agreed to this calling. I love democracy. I love the Republic. The power you give me, I will lay down when this crisis has abated. But he didn't, did he? He didn't give up his power. You guys know where that's from, right? Star Wars. We all know it. If you're, if you live, if you watch Star Wars, if you're familiar with the Star Wars movies, you know it comes next. But in case you forgot, in order to ensure the security and continuing stability, the Republic will be reorganized into the first galactic empire for a safe and secure. So this is how liberty dies. A thunderous applause. Now that's been used a lot in the liberty movement, especially the second part there. This is how liberty dies, the thunderous applause. But let me tell you why I think it is it is almost spooky how accurate it is to our current condition in society. And it all goes back to the love them and hate them at the same time, Rube, Jar Jar Binks. Let's think about who Jar Jar Binks is in Star Wars. He is 
a guy that really means well, he does his best. By and large, he's completely incompetent and not very intelligent. Yet he seems to luck out most of the time and have things work out. But when it came to a really big thing, like do you trust government with more power, he was easily misled, got it all wrong, and in fact led the charge for the government to take over more power over his life and the life of his comrades. If that doesn't sound like the average American to you, I don't know what you're paying attention to. Jar Jar Binks is the perfect representation of the general American public in their view of government. And where it, where it goes next is, is really frightening. Because that is that once the power is granted, it can never be taken back without, without war, without revolution. You can vote your way into communism, but you have to shoot your way out of it. That's, it's that type of a thing. And by the time the people that, that gave this power away realize it was too much, it's too late. And let's take it back to 9-11. I remember when 9-11 first happened, and they were doing stupid things like taking fingernail clippers from people if they want to get on an airplane. And I remember people calling right-wing, right-wing conservative radio and saying, this is the halt. They're going to take away our liberty. And they were shouted down and told to shut up. All the monkeys held the new monkey down and didn't let him climb the pole, if you know that story. And then we get the Patriot Act and the Freedom Act, and both of them had nothing to do with patriotism or freedom. Complete rewriting of, of, of the rights of American citizens and a new normal. And that is exactly where I think this is heading. The temptation to establish a new normal very much like we did after 9-11. And I want you to think about the erosion of liberty and comparing it to erosion in nature. You look at great canyons or great cliffs that have been eroded into their current shape. And science will tell you that <clears throat> over millions of years, erosion was constant and tiny and minuscule. So that if you had stood at any point in time and watched the erosion process, you would think that nothing is changing. But when you step back a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand years, you can see the massive impact of the constant tiny erosion by nature on this landform. It's kind of scary, but let's make it accurate and see how much more scary it gets. In all of these situations, there were acute or catastrophic events that accelerated the erosion massively. A flood, a glacial melt, an asteroid impact. There was a crisis where the majority of the erosion happened very, very quickly, and then nature returned to the slow, steady, constant erosion that they tell you about. Worse, after the catastrophic event and the, ser the serious erosion that took place, The speed of, let's say, water over rock, because the rock is now at a more acute angle, was accelerated, and even the steady, slow erosion 
was more effective and faster over time. Without the catastrophic event, the effect of the erosion, even over a thousand years, would be minuscule. But add in the catastrophic event or events, and the erosion is quite severe indeed. Welcome to your future America. Welcome to your present, and welcome to your past. It has always been that way. In the words of F.A. Hayek from our quote of the day, emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of individual liberty have been eroded and from Star, Star Wars you get this is how liberty dies to thunderous applause this is my fear from this far more than the virus or even the short term economic consequences or even panic toilet paper buying and if you can't see it you are no student of history and that's exactly what they want they want you to focus on the acute situation so that they can use the long term erosion against you This is an opportunity to take a minor weather event and turn it into a, you know, hundred year flood event as it relates to the erosion of your liberty. And I just ask you, how many more erosions like that can we handle before it's all gone? Before liberty truly dies. And your fear is the tool by which they move you in that direction. Another thing though, completely the opposite. When this ends and people realize it was overhyped and overblown, we have the real potential someday to have... Because See, this is the thing. This is my disaster. If anybody should be screaming, oh my God, the, the sky is falling, it should be me. I have always said our biggest potential global disaster is pandemic. But I also looked at this from the very beginning and went, just doesn't have the capacity. Major disruption, sure. Overreaction and hype, making it worse? Sure. Some people dying? Sure. Something to worry about? Sure. What I'm talking about? Nope. No matter how much you guys try to make it that, this ain't it. That doesn't mean that my belief that that can happen has gone away or lessened. And I really fear, and it's gone on, SARS and MERS and blah, 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 Ebola, blah, 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 swine flu, blah, 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 birth flu, blah, blah, blah. So many times that some of the underreaction of this one is from the overreaction to all the things that preceded it that were actually less of a threat. What does that spell for us in the future? What if we get something that truly is like SARS was, that spreads like this version of coronavirus does? See, the thing about SARS is only about 15% of people that got it died. But almost all of them required advanced medical care. And I don't mean almost all of them that develop serious symptoms. I mean the SARS infection. If you got SARS, you went down. That's what limited it. What if you get something that has the impact of SARS, but the, the duration of asymptomatic transmission of this coronavirus at the same time? What do you get then? Then you get a real, so it doesn't mean this is a real, this is not a real problem, but you get a real problem. You hear the difference between real problem and real problem? You understand that inflection? And people don't believe it. Because, oh, it's this again. This is the media crying wolf right now. The difference is this time there is a wolf. There's a wolf, but he's way over there behind an electric fence. He could climb over the fence and kill your sheep. But he's not eating your sheep. And they're screaming, he's eating the sheep right now. 
So everybody runs up to get the wolf. And where's the wolf? Well, he's over there. Uh, wolves live over there. There's always a wolf over there. Yeah, but there's a wolf now. Ah! That's what's happening. And I think we have are setting the stage for an underreaction in the future. And government to take another for all the things that government will use this to put in place for itself. Government also doesn't want to panic people. It doesn't want to upset people unless there's a specific sequence of events they look to achieve from that. So you have government maybe waiting too long to react in the future to a more severe disease. It's possible. It's one of the things I'm least concerned about, but it's on my list of things to be concerned about. The next is the loss of many small businesses during this relatively short disruption. I'm more worried about that than I am coronavirus itself. Small companies that go out of business and never come back. Entrepreneurs who end up set back five years in their life and have to go out and take a job when their original plan was to never take a job again. And if you are that person and you make it through this, learn. Learn. If you have to take a job in addition to your business for a few months, if you have to do DoorDash, if you have to do Amazon deliveries, if you have to do Uber, and I don't care if you have to work until you feel like you're going to fall apart for three to six months when this goes away, put up the cash reserves. Get yourself at least a 30-day window where everything is fine in your business. No matter what you have to do, you need at least, bare minimum, that reserve. And that's not when you're completely tapped out. That doesn't mean you don't have any personal savings left or anything. That is only allocated to your business. Because there's so many people right now, I'm like, God, I know I've said this, and I know they didn't do it, and I wish they had. Because no one's coming to bail you out, man. Right now, you got to figure out, if you have a small business and you think you're going to have a major impact of this, you got to go into survival mode with your business. You will physically be fine. You will be okay. You are not going to die. Your whole world will not disappear, but your business might. You need to take serious measures to protect your business right now. Which you should always do, but I know you didn't. That's what I'm saying here now, okay? Um... And the real concern here, long term, this is a perfect setup for a takeover of socialism in the United States. This is a perfect setup for it. It could, if it goes longer than I expect, or if we have a major resurgence in the fall, especially when everybody thought it was gone and then it comes back, it could influence, it's going to influence, it could turn the 2020 election. And we'll save who the Democrat will be for a minute here. But it could turn the election. And it could accelerate this plan. But the Democrat plan right now to go full socialist is not to do it in 2020. They had written, like, this is their hope. And that's so sickening. But this is their hope. Like, they had given up, they had thrown the towel, and like, oh, wait a minute. We might be able to win now. If it doesn't, it's still a perfect setup for socialism 2024. With incremental advancement in 2022. Because it's going to disrupt lives. It's going to add medical expenses. And it's going to add concerns to people's lives. It's going to put more financial stress on them. And people always sell out to socialism when they're under financial stress. And always some segment of your population will be poor. Even Jesus told you the poor will always be with you. Okay? <laughs> If you're religious, just accept that. The poor will always be with you. 
But the majority of people in this country, right now even, in their head they might be, but right now even they're not under financial stress. My 401k went down. How old are you? 40. Shut up. And by the way, you should have moved your money in advance like we talked about. But whatever. It does, it's not going to affect you. It does not affect you. You don't get paid out of that right now, right? If you're 72 and you're still sitting all in on stocks, why? Why are you doing that, right? So this really didn't actually hurt most people so far economically. Most people's lives are not that much different. But if it goes that much longer, it will start to, one, actually be, and two, start to feel even if it isn't even more. And that could turn an election. But if you have this now, Trump wins re-election, we deal with it again, and we put all these things in place that Trump will happily go along with that strengthen government. And as we move to 2024, there is no way we do not have a recession between now and 2024. A real one. Not a short-lived panic. Like, it's just too long based on cycles and patterns, to not have some sort of major real under... See, this is a short-term acute market correction. This is not a long-term fundamental disruption. That almost has to happen by 2024. And then you also just get the typical, nah, we've had this long enough, we need to make a change. And you're going to get a young, bright, energetic, moderate-sounding full-on socialist that calls himself a Democrat in 2024. A lot of your old guard Democrats are going to be retired this, this round or will retire on their own next round. Look how old they are. Like there's a point where even they go, okay, I'm done. You're going to have a lot of outgoing Democrats. You're going to have a wave toward Demo the Democratic Party. Young, full-on socialists. And I think we're setting ourselves up. And this takes what was already going to happen. I already said this would happen in 2024. Months ago, I said this would happen in 2024. This just makes it more likely. Because one thing you have to do, if you're going to be honest in your assessment, is even be honest about things you don't like. Italy is basically a, a democratic socialist country. And there's a certain threshold that people know they have in Italy. A guaranteed subsistence level. Makes it a lot easier to shut down the country for 30 days, doesn't it? Like, you're going to be okay. The government guarantees that you're going to have a job. I know that's crazy, but basically that's the way it works. Like, your employer's going to have to hire you back. And if they have to pump money that they don't have into it to let them be able to do it, they're going to do it. Plus, nobody has a medical bill. When you get... When vaccines become available, you just go get your vaccine. It's free. That's what Bernie said. Eh, that vaccine will be free. Well, since you're promising free health care, of course it will. Duh. And if you look at it, I can actually make a case for socialism in the United States from a business standpoint. If it's socialism like they have in Finlander, right? Look sweeter, right? I, I can. Small business person, you have 20 people working for you. You want to provide them health insurance. How expensive is that? The answer is prohibitively. Can't do it. You can't afford to do it. You can pay some portion. They end up paying $700 a month for something they don't even use if they're young and healthy. They can't take the job because they can't afford the health insurance. It happens all the time. What if you didn't have to worry about it? As a business person. And if most of the taxes are paid out of income, 
as a business person, I, wow. Wow. You just, like, I don't have to worry about health insurance for myself or my employees ever again. Doesn't matter that it's going to be awful. From a standpoint of just money, oh, wow. Gee, all that money that I was spending on health insurance, all that money they were spending on health insurance, I can now put that into their wages, their real wages. Even if they pay, that's what Bernie Sanders' case is. If you pay more taxes, but you keep more money, you're still ahead. If you're paying 12 grand for insurance right now, and all of that goes away, and you pay 4,000 more in taxes, don't you have, you know, $8,000 more? And all of your co-pays and all of your deductibles go away too. I'm not saying it'll all work. I'm saying that's the case. And the more, remember what they did Obamacare for in the first place, to destroy what did work about health insurance. And it's worked beautifully. It's Health insurance is miserable. And that's the, that is the Achilles heel here. And then you have a health crisis on top of the Achilles heel that is health insurance. Because this is the problem. And again, I'm a political atheist. I don't want any of these people in charge. I want to be in a stateless society. Less government is better. Markets always have better solutions. Just so I'm clear before I say the case that's being made here and how it works and why the right is setting themselves up to lose eventually on this case. The message that the right has and the message moderate Democrats have is exactly the same. 180 million Americans will lose health insurance that they're happy with. And Bernie Sanders says to that, and whether I like him or not, he's absolutely right when he says this. Nobody likes their health insurance. Nobody likes their health insurance. I don't like mine. Do you like yours? There might be some union people who have Cadillac insurance programs that are completely paid for by their employer that they don't see the real cost of, and it does handle almost everything. Those people might think they're happy with their insurance, but in general, I bet you if you polled the average American and say, are you happy with your health insurance, 90% or more would say, absolutely not. I hate my health insurance. I hate the way they treat me. I hate when I have to make a phone call to get something done. I hate how much it costs me. I hate how much it doesn't cover. I hate arguing with them. I hate the fact that their main goal is to figure out how not to pay a claim. I hate them. And what does the right say? By and large, people love their insurance. If you don't think that's a long-term losing message, I don't know what it is. You add that to it, and, and, and we are headed for... Bernie Sanders 2.0 in 2024, and this just adds gas to that fire. Those are my bigger concerns than coronavirus. A combined vaccine forcing you into a place where you don't have a choice if you want a COVID vaccine, a, a gas on the fire for the war on cash, more validation for government to have more emergency power, the establishment of a new normal just like they did after 9-11. How many things go people just let government do now that they would have never let them do before? The cry wolf response, if we have something that's actually worse, that actually is as bad as some of the people said this one was, and continue to say. The loss of many small businesses leading to greater dependence. And if you, all those small entrepreneurs, those solopreneurs, those three or four person companies, they're a big part of the resistance against socialism. Put them back into employee mode, that resistance goes down a lot. And perfect setup for that socialist takeover. That already looks like it's going to happen. So when you say, I say this is nothing to worry about, I'm like, I don't know what you've been listening to for 12 years.
I'm saying the things you're most worried about are not of no concern, but they're of the least concern of the totality of what's going on here. Now, tomorrow, you're going to hear a, 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 a conversation between me and Nicole Sauce. We're going to talk about this seriously, and we're going to talk about it kind of sarcastically at the same time. We're going to start out coming from the standpoint of, what if we covered the flu every year the way they're covering coronavirus this year? And that doesn't mean everything is just like the flu. Oh, my God, grow up. We're making a comparison because it's a relevant comparison, and we'll have that tomorrow. Before we wrap up here, let's go ahead and remind you, if you like to show them the work that we do here for you, you can go ahead and help us out by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. T-S-P, like The Survival Podcast, A-Z, tspaz.com. Somebody commented yesterday, like, where do I find all this? It sounds like you're saying C-spaz or something like that. T-spaz, like spaz, like somebody that spazzes out. T, Tango, T, Spaz.com. You can find all the stuff I recommend on Amazon, and if you start your shopping there, no matter what you buy, you help support us and the work that we do. That means it's free to help us, and you get all my great reviews. And today I have something I haven't brought around in a long time. It's an old classic. It's not really a survival item, other than it does let you cook off-grid. It is the Weber Premium Kettle Grill, the charcoal grill. Uh, I have a lot of grills. I have a lot of ways to cook outside. And I have to say, I'm using this a lot less since I got a Blackstone griddle. I love my Blackstone griddle. But the kettle grill, the Weber kettle, has been around almost 70 years now. And it's changed almost not at all. I mean, it's changed a little bit, and they've added some things and taken away some things. But in the end, it's basically the same grill it always was. Why? Because it works. It's just a fantastic grill, and it's one of those things that has cult following. I love things that have cult following because there's a reason. And you can get one of these things shipped for free from Amazon. They're shipping right now. You don't have to wait for a container shipped from China. And you can get it for $165 shipped to your door. That's all I'll say about that today. Um, just remember, you can always help us out by doing your online shopping at T-Spaz. And if you read my write-up today on the Weber Kettle Grill, you'll see my two favorite Weber accessories There is the 8835 hinged cooking grate. It's, a, it's an upgrade in the grate itself, which is the part you cook on. Much heavier steel, totally worth the upgrade if you already own one. And there's these heavy-duty stainless steel charcoal baskets. Now, Weber sells, Weber, as much as I love Weber, the, the, the charcoal baskets they sell to go in this grill are garbage. You, you, in one season, you'll literally melt them. They will get weak, and they will incinerate themselves. This, this third-party company makes these really heavy-duty stainless steel charcoal baskets, and they give you so much added flexibility. I have links to both of those accessories in the write-up, too. So if you're already a kettlehead, as they're called, uh, maybe consider one of those as well. And always help us out by shopping at tspaz.com. Uh, last but not least, let's talk about our song of the day today. Again, I'm doing CCR week. I wanted this week to have some kind of you know upbeat feel to it because we're talking so much about coronavirus this week. And by the way, we're taking a damn break from this. Like, I'm doing this because there's so much question, call, concern from the audience. And I always address that if you have it. But we're going to do some stuff about this with Nicole tomorrow. And then we're going to go on to other things. And we're going to talk about other things going forward. And I'm not going to talk about this unless something really happens that means up the alert or drop the alert. Because the news is doing this. 24-7-365 right now. In fact, with the, you know what the news is doing right now? I uh, I need to finish with this because I wanted to talk about this and I somehow let it slip. The news is doing exactly what you do to a prisoner of war for psychological warfare with, with you right now. 
So in a in one hour of content, which is more like an hour and a half of time because of how many commercials for pillows and drugs they have, right? But an hour of media contact right now with you. About 45 minutes. Now I would say more like 40 minutes of it is how dangerous the coronavirus is and telling you to freak out. 40 minutes. And then about five minutes is, well, you know, just take precautions and you'll be okay. And then the rest of it's the election and other random shit. But they're dedicating about 45 minutes out of every hour to this right now on cable news. And out of that, you know, 5%, 10% of the time is telling you it's okay. And the rest of the time is telling you, no, it's not okay. You're going to die. The world's ending. Ah, Everything's going to burn. It's okay. Just wash your hands. That's what they're doing. Like mice in a box, like slapping the shit out of the box. So the mice is freaked out, and then like playing like you know a soft melody for the mice. That's what you do to prisoners of war. That's how you take somebody that you've ca- taken captive and you do psychological warfare on them. It's kind of like good cop, bad cop, but the bad cops on steroids. You just rattle the shit out of them, and then you give them like ten minutes of peace, and it's going to be all right. And then you rattle the shit out of them again, and you give them a little peace. They rattle the shit out of them. You give them a little peace. And they start to give you what you want. You give them a little bit more peace. A little bit longer duration of peace. Pretty soon you have them doing exactly what you want. It's exactly what the media is doing to you. It's exactly what the media is doing to you right now. You're a mouse in a box. That's how they're treating you. So I wanted stuff that was a little bit more upbeat. And this song's not really an upbeat song. But it certainly talks about the fact that government and the state and the corporatocracy will use you. Of course, it's Fortunate Son. But you see, I think that the thing about Fortunate Son is it is a song that makes you feel good. That's why it's been so misinterpreted. Like, this is a song of outrage. This is a song about how the spoiled and the wealthy never suffer in a war. But they sell the idea of patriotism to those that do. This this song was written when, when John Fogarty was thinking about the fact that, like, Eisenhower and Nixon's kids were hanging out together, and boy, they weren't going anywhere near Vietnam. But some guy grew up with down the street was. And it's been so misinterpreted, like Wrangler Jeans used it as a patriotic song to sell jeans. And because of some record deals and stuff, Fogarty had no control over that. What was interesting to me is he actually did have control. Eventually he just came out publicly and said, they're using my music wrong. And Wrangler pulled it. Because even though he didn't have any legal control, he had social control. Because he was really known as the voice behind it. Because he was. There's a lesson in that, too. You have more power and more control over things in life than you think you do. It is not always the people that the system picks to be winners that really win. If you're good at what you do, and you stay true to who you are, you can win even in these adverse situations. And I think that that actually somehow came through in this song. And that's what made it so subject to misinterpretation and stuff, you know? Like, it's about a patriot. So it's, a, it's, it's literally anti-patriotic. Or maybe, more accurately, it's truly patriotic. The patriot should be the first to speak against his nation when his nation is wrong, not the last. But it does have a kind of a smack and groove to it. should make you feel a little bit better. And if you're driving, it's one of those songs. I'm just going to put a preemptive warning here. It can make you bend and break speed limits. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.